This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sean. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Shauna Bulimic, compulsive overeater. Blast from the past. Um, Nervous. Just let me say that. You know, I can be truthful today about my feelings, Um, but I know I'm in a safe place. And um, thank you, John, so much. Um, Okay, so it's so funny. I brought a picture because uh, I've never passed a picture. Um, but my friend who came with me saw this on my counter, just moved, and he said, who is that? Mm-hmm. So that's me. So just so you can kind of, that was the first year I came into program, 23 years ago. Um, I came into program at 19, and um, so let me just tell you a little bit about what it used to be like. And so I, you know, was raised in a, a highly da- uh, damaged and dysfunctional family, um, alcoholism, drugs, and I'm the oldest of three, and for me, my childhood was full of a lot of terror, um, a lot of pain, and, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of happiness, and that's just my story, Um, and I don't have a lot of anger or blame for my parents, they did the best they could, but they certainly didn't create a safe environment for their kids, and... um, what I found early on was I found um, sweets. And, you know, I can say today that that was such a brilliant choice for me <laughs> at five years old. I mean, I, I look at that little girl and I say, I'm so proud of you, you know, to find something sweet and consistent that, you know, I could count on. Um, what I learned in my family was how to I, – oh, I learned a lot of mixed signals. So basically what I learned was I learned how to um, – overuse things and abuse things and be really inconsistent and to take things and twist them into dysfunction. Um, That was the example. So it wasn't long before, you know, my sweets, um, the sweets that I enjoyed eating, turned into something that I abused just because I did what I knew. Um, So I, uh, um, I, I, you know, I used sweets, but I didn't have, like, a real connection to um, hoarding and abusing food. Um, Early on, I was, um, I'm a a child of having my father do things he shouldn't have done. So there's a lot in my my early past I don't remember. And um, so where, where did the tables turn for me? The tables turned, you know, God bless my mom, you know, at 12 when um, she pulled me into the room and said, um, honey, you got to watch your weight because uh, you have a body type like mine. Now, I was 
the same height I am now, um, and uh, about 10 pounds less. So um, I remember saying to her, I'm not fat. But, um, you know, but I know that, that she was projecting whatever she was projecting, and all I heard was that I couldn't be fat. And I was extremely shy, and um, just to sort of back up a little bit, uh, some people talk about how home was never fun, but school was a great escape. And that was not a great escape for me either because I was um, teased a lot and I think just because I was so shy, whatever. You know, I, I, all I know is something felt wrong with me. Why did, not, why did I get teased there? Why did I come home to pain and, and um, violence? So to add this onto the equation was just like it couldn't happen. It was, I just couldn't. So, so that's when I noticed my food take on a twist where I became... Um, uh, really uh, remember overeating and binging and, and, and you know, the huge mixed signals, you know, watch my weight, but my parents drank and smoked a lot of pot, so they ate a lot of food, and they would have us eat a lot of food, you know. So, um, so at 14, I don't have any idea where it came from, but I just remember thinking, God, I wonder if I made myself throw up, you know, I'd get rid of this food. And, um, and I did, and it was, boy, it was my heroine, for sure, for sure. Um, there was something about the act of vomiting that gave me such a sense of numbness, um, and, uh, and I was hooked. And I was not a dainty perjurer. I was um, a, a large quantity Perjure, especially when I was a young adult and had control over what I did. I was a probably 50 to 80,000 calorie binger, perjure. Um, and so, so that plagued me. That was it. And so that kept me from, I think the most was, I was about 30 pounds heavier. So that kept me from um, that, that thing, you know, called being fat. Like, like that would have made a difference for me at that point. But, um, so, um, so that's just my life. My life was um, eating, starving, vomiting through my high school. Never dated. Um, was very shut down and uh, lived in Chicago. So I moved from Chicago to New York uh, with my mother, my brother, and my sister. My mom finally left this, the violent stepfather. And um, very enmeshed with my family. Very, you know, this is not my only program. So guess where I go? <laughs> um, you know, uh, very Al-Anon in all areas of my life. And, um, and so I, uh, I was very enmeshed. But I also knew that I was dying. And I was. I was dying from this disease. I mean, I, you know, um, had, the, you know, the black and blue marks on my hands and and, um, you know, bulimia is such a tricky little thing because, at least for me, is, you know, I never got super heavy. And I never got super thin. So um, no one ever thought there was a problem with me. You know, it was like, you know, Sean's okay, you know. And, um, and I, you know, I have an autistic brother, and I had a sister with Crohn's disease. And so they had other things that throw attention. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was, that, that's, that's my ism is, no, I'm fine, I'm fine you know, to, to my demise. So um, I remember seeing this movie, um, made-for-TV movie on um, bulimia. Meredith Baxter Bernie might have been in it or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
you know, I'll say that the gift my parents did give me was when I was 14, my stepfather did get sober. Now, it didn't calm the waters down in our house, um, but we were forced into Alateen for a period of time. And so, you know, so I was um, given the ability to know that there was this 12-step program that offered solutions. So when I saw this movie, I just, I just heard what I know to be God's voice today, um, get help. You're dying. And so, you know, so I had to save, save my own life. And, and, um, and I walked into a meeting in New York, and, you know, I've been in different states in these programs. And so in New York, you know, they're, they're just a, you know, um, a city folk, real city folk. So back then, I mean, thank God, you know, they, it was a circle, and they said, any newcomers, you know, and raised your hands. And what happened at the end of the meeting is sponsors went and grabbed the newcomers. You know, basically somebody came up to me and said, can I be your sponsor? You know, thank God. Um, and that was the start. Now, that wasn't the finish because I was a big relapser on this program. Um, I didn't get it right away. And um, so, you know, I stand here as a miracle um, because I think the first 12 years in these programs, I would have periods of time and I would, you know, go back into a default button. I heard um, somebody who's in this room uh, say something a couple weeks ago that just was like so true is that, you know, this, this, um, all these 12-step programs, it's not really about the substance, you know, it's about the feelings. And, you know, that is really today what my recovery is about. Um, is food and bulimia befell me, but um, but whether it was drugs or sex or smoking, you know, all it was was about it was about just not having me feel my feelings because I just didn't know how to do that, and the the feelings just felt they just felt like they were going to kill me, really, um, and uh, and so um, my various relapses, oddly enough always came on the tail of the good things. Um, I'm great in tragedy. You know, uh, I was, uh, I moved out to L.A. when I was um, 21, and I quickly relapsed um, after about my first time, like a year of not growing up. And, um, and it just, you know, it started a dance, and it started a... Um, you know, staying in the rooms, not being abstinent, struggling, withdrawing, getting a sponsor, stop calling the sponsor. You know, the half measures. I was really half measures availed me. Not really that much. But, you know, the, the, the being involved in these rooms, and that's why I love all 12 fellowships, because there's such a sense of non-judgment. You know, I mean, I can come to a meeting. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be abstinent. And there's always a seat for me. Um, uh, I could go away program never did, uh, which was just a blessing um, for me, because when I really was ready to um, get sober, you know, with my eating, um, the slow evolvement of my life truly began, you know, the living life. I used to say that for me, I was like the living dead. I could, I could, you all thought I was okay, but I inside had no connection to Joie de vie, I guess, you know, <laughs> what they call it. You know, just, just happy, joyous, and free. I just, know how, I just knew how to exist. I didn't know how to live. And um, 
So I started to um, work this program a little differently. You know, I've, I've kind of diverted into other fellowships of this program, like HAL, and, and, um, and, and not for any of the hardcore food plan things, because what really happened for me is, is I tried to eat like everybody else ate, you know, not throw up and eat, you know. I, I did it a lot of different ways. And then I sought outside counsel to help me know what I needed to do to eat because I had no idea what a portion looked like. I had no idea that if I satiated my body in a certain way that, oh, wow, a lot of my obsession was relieved, you know, um, versus if I just, you know, listened to the hunger. Well, you know what? I mean, I'm abstinent quite a long time, and I don't have that connection. Like, I, you know, I don't have a full gauge really still, and um, I get when I am physically starting to drop because because I care about how I feed myself today. But um, but in terms of, you know, being in touch with, you know, that normal way of eating, not so much for me. Don't have it. Don't have that. I, I, DNA didn't give me that, you know, in my recovery. And, you know, and I'm okay with that because I have a plan of eating that um, is uh, accountable and structured and you know, um, very user-friendly for me and uh, doesn't draw a lot of attention, but, um, but keeps it very clean. And um, I obtain and maintain a healthy body weight as a result of that for a long time. And, and um, you know, the word that comes up for me is self-care. You know, um, I uh, worked the steps of a variety of different ways. And so I did the stuff and steps, and then I relapsed. And, you know, so um, I did find a lot of healing in a lot of that work. But I think that, that for me, and this is where I guess I sink in my recovery today, is um, the, uh, the real exercise I had to do was two things. One is start to sit through my feelings, sit still with them, um, abstain no matter what, uh, so I could get a cl- clear and sober way of thinking, um, let people into my life on a, you know, on a consistent, regular basis, and, um, and start to um, work on a better relationship with myself. Because what, what I really recognized was that um, I took myself wherever I went. And um, and I would never treat you like I treat me. And that became a real um, roadblock for me to get in touch with uh, step three for sure, like a God of my understanding. Um, took many different forms. But when I started to work with some people who started to ask me to be kinder to myself, um, to work on just um, taking certain words out of my dialogue, you know, like, I feel so fat today, you know. Help me describe truths instead of um, hurtful things, you know. Uh, it, it started to slowly get better. It, it kind of felt like um, there was a caring about me in the world um, and, and, and an ability for me to... Um, kind of see uh, beyond um, my pain. And, um, and so, um, so let's see, what can I say? I can say that 
Okay, so in the program, when I came into these rooms, I mean, I grew up in these rooms, so like when I came into these rooms, um, I looked at the ground. I never looked people in the eye. I was, you know, again, super shy. Um, I dressed in big kind of baggy clothes. Um, and, you know, the, the gift of, of this fellowship is, that, and I shared this at a meeting before just because this is, you know, the fact that I wore pants that fit me and a tight shirt is, is a miracle, you know. And so um, I had this guy come up to me one time after I'd come to these meetings for a while over the, uh, on this side of the hill. I'm a valley girl now. And um, he said, um, can I be your clothing sponsor? <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, he said, because I think there's a body under there. And, um, you know, I just, bless his heart, you know, wherever he is. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, you know. And he would just do simple things. He'd say, you know, next week would you tuck your shirt in, you know, to your skirt or something. And, and sometimes it wouldn't be until I got to the meeting that I'd do it and sit through the meeting and, and, uh, you know, I mean, just the little, the little gifts that this program offers. Um, you know, uh, I learned how to use makeup. I learned how to do a lot of things in these rooms. Um, you know, because I, I, uh, I, I was truly an adult child, you know. And, um, and by the time I was, you know, um, a young adult, I was feeling quite old. Um, I got married when I was... A, 23, uh, and um, in, in true caretaking fashion, I married somebody with a terminal illness. Um, he was HIV positive, and we were married for 12 years. And um, it was um, something I knew how to do really well, take care of, but it was also probably the best blessing in my life because, you know, my higher power said, okay, we're going to have to do something to really wake you up. We're going to give you someone that you love that lives life with a terminal illness, and you don't. Like, you could die from your disease, but you can arrest your disease. And it, it was the first time that I really got to face, like, the, the seriousness of me wanting to get better. Um, and so uh, I, you know, I was very naive in the fact that there was something very romantic in the sense that I thought, well, you know, I don't know how long he's going to live, you know. And so after about six years, um, seven years, you know, the heaviness of that disease started to wear on both of us, you know. And um, I have a lot of uh, heart and compassion for anybody suffering from any terminal illness. But um, what I do know is that... um, I was losing my, I was abstinent, but I was losing myself. And, uh, and so um, after 12 years, he unfortunately, you know, 40 pills a day later, you know, got hooked on um, a pain medication, and I had to make the choice. Or, you know, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And, um, and leave somebody I loved because, um, because he was using in a way that, you know, I grew up in and I... I had to make a difficult choice for myself. But I say that knowing that at 35, that's really when a lot of my internal, emotional and spiritual side of this program really started to flourish more. Um, You know, the nature of our disease is threefold. And so, you know, I got the physical, finally got this physical one day at a time. 
uh, I say. And, um, and then I got to really sink down into getting to know myself, you know. Um, and I, I, use the, I use the terminology I'm dating myself, you know, because I've, I've, I have spent so much time being the quintessential um, caretaking, uh, alanonic, let me take care of you, that when somebody would say, keep the, you know, focus on yourself, I was like, what? Huh? You know, um, I mean, I can keep the focus on my food, but in the organic nature, really keeping the focus on me. is giving people the dignity of their, um, their life, you know, and, and, and that my fixing, managing, controlling others is a real disservice. Um, and so that's been a real core learning for me. Um, and, you know, I'm an addict, and I'm really self-centered. But I'm a martyr, so I'm not self-centered in the, you know, I had somebody tell me once she was a, a recovering drug addict. She said, oh, no, you're one of the nice ones. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's those addicts, you know, and we just, like, pillage you. And then there's the other addicts that are like, well, the doormats, you know. And, and um, not that I'm not capable of heinous anger and, you know, seething resentment, but, but, I, but I am that, you know, I am the doormat, you know, I will do for others. Um, but what I got to learn in these rooms is that um, there's a difference between doing for others in a service-oriented way and doing for others in a means to an end. And so in getting uh, absent and sober with my food, um, I started to really get to see how I moved in the world and um, how my actions affected others and how... Um, how I could start to change that, you know. And um, so keeping the focus on myself became a real mantra uh, for my um, recovery. And and even in working with sponsees, you know, um, I don't know what's best for anybody. I barely know what's best for me. You know, all I do with my life and what I do with others that I work with is just support them to keep nurturing the idea of a power greater than themselves that walks in their life. Um, because I know that for me, I have to work on it, not just in the morning when I say a prayer. Because, you know, if I'm flipping somebody off in the car half an hour later, that prayer did me no good. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's the 11th step. You know, I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact. I didn't seek, sought through tell, my sponsor telling me what to do. You know, I mean, those, those are important things for me. But, but my healing is truly from the inside. And my whole life was based on how I was on the outside. If you're okay, I'm okay. I'll plug into you. I'll do for you. You know, and I, and I still have that um, default button very well grooved in me today. And, um, but what I have is I have the commitment to the best of my ability to be present when that comes up, you know, and, um, and i.e. my character defects. You know, uh, we've just spent a lot of time reading chapters for uh, step seven for some reason, and like it went on like four weeks, you know, and, and um, I just remember being at a meeting and having an old timer say something like, you know, a lot of people have that seventh step wrong, you know, um, it's not like someone comes and says, poof, they're gone. You know, it's, have you ever looked up remove in the dictionary? And what he said is that remove means to move away from. Because I used to get very um, 
discouraged, having done the steps a few times and saying, yeah, I'm ready. Take it. Take that judgment, that gossip. Take it. I don't want it. You know, and then the next week I was like, oh, I know. I heard that. Yeah. You know, and what the hell happened? You know? And um, what, I, what I loved is when I heard that, it just it made me realize that, you know what, I just may never lose a bulk of these defects, these shortcomings. Um, but I certainly can move away from them when I recognize them. And, um, and, and that has been a great gift for me because there's a lot that I've moved pretty far away from. And there's a lot that I haven't, but that I'm so present when it comes up and it feels yucky that I take in with me a conscious effort to be really mindful knowing that my higher power is going to give that lesson to me again to exercise how I'm going to be. Because I always get the do-overs. I always get them. You know, um, and I'll say that to sponsors. Don't worry, don't worry. You'll get it again. <laughs> you know, it's just been my experience. But, you know, and then when you, when you do it and you do it great, you'll get it again just because how your power wants to make sure you really understand, you know. And, um, and so, uh, you know, um, I think that what that allows me to do is keep a humanness in my life because I'm not godlike. I'm just human. Um, I'm imperfect. And um, I'm a work in progress, and, I, and there's no graduation, which I'm so grateful for, so grateful for. Um, that I get to, you know, I was talking to somebody on the way here, um, and we, I was using an analogy about working out. You know, I, I found exercise in recovery, um, and I do that with a real uh, loving approach. Um, I guess that what, what, the word that comes up for me is balance. That's really what I hope to continue to work towards is because I'm a very black and white thinker. You know, if it's like, oh, if running's good, let's do a marathon. You know, it's like, no, wait a minute. Maybe running's good and we can do it consistently. We can do it with days off so we rest and we take care of our body. And, and um, uh, you know, but I, I struggle because I get into the black and then, boom, I'm in the white. You know, and my sponsor today will say, oh, honey, let me get some gray. Let's move it over a little bit. And, uh, and I'd love to be reminded of all the hues of gray because it's not always perfect for me to be in that center line. But, but I was talking about how, you know, my disease, not just the physical nature of my disease, but all nature, the emotional and the spiritual, is contingent on my daily maintenance. And it's not a daily maintenance. It's a gentle, loving, what can I do today to keep me spiritually fit, physically fit, and emotionally sound? And we were in the car talking about, um, you know, bo- a body can be a great example. And this person was saying, oh, yeah, God, I was running and I hadn't run in like two weeks. And I went on a big power walk and I was sore from my neck to my toes, you know. And I said, wow, isn't that interesting how quickly, how quickly our body forgets, you know. Um, and that's me. So I know, you know, um, I've said this at other meetings. But I don't really, uh, I don't, but I love other people that do. Um, is I don't count days, I don't take candles. I have a two handfuls, close to two handfuls of time um, and sobriety in my food. But, you know, I've been kicked in the ass so many times in relapses that, you know, I'm abstinent right now, today. Hopefully I'll be abstinent at dinner, going with some fellow members, so chances are pretty good. Um, but, you know, it, it, keeps me, it keeps me where my feet are, and it keeps me in my 24 hours. And, um, and I can look back, and there's a lot of those days that have added up. But 
but I need to stay here and I need to stay in my presence and I need to um, focus on what matters, you know, and today my accident matters. You know, when I speak to a sponsee, I'll say you and I have the same amount of time today. Same amount. You know, maybe I have a little more time, so maybe in my, I don't have as much of a fog in my brain, but that's about it. You know, but ultimately, if we're both talking at 4 p.m. and you're abstinent and I'm abstinent, then we're equal. Equal. And, um, and that, I, I just, it serves me very well to, to, to live my life that way. Um, as a result of OA, I stopped drinking. I was never a big drinker, binge drinker, but I certainly, I called it coding the nerves, you know. Um, so I uh, put that on the red list a couple years ago. Um, I'm a member of Al-Anon, um, you know, and not so much because I come from alcoholism, but because I am my biggest qualifier. And so, you know, when I go into Al-Anon, it says, if someone's drinking or sobriety bother you, you're in the right place, I think, yeah, mine, you know, because in sobriety, in my food sobriety, I still had a problem with me, you know. I didn't really have a lot of self-worth. I didn't like me too much. And that was not okay anymore. I mean, I felt a lot of compassion towards myself in that arena. And I couldn't change that myself. Um, And, uh, you know, I just love that we have different avenues to go to to find out what works for us. And the pamphlet, The Dignity of Choice, um, just the pamphlet title is such a lovely title for me because part of what I've been able to do is give myself the dignity of my path. And my path doesn't look like anybody else's. And, um, you know, I wish some days that I didn't have to have as much struggle as I've had, but that's just my path. And I bless the people that are able to get abstinent right away. I, I wish no relapse on anybody. And, um, and, you know, there doesn't have to be a relapse. But I, I just know that my story was um, riddled with a lot of that. And just because because that fixed me quicker than sitting still did until I learned how to sit still, you know. And so so today I, um, what do I do? You know, I, I, um, I go to meetings. I take service positions. Um, my life is uh, full. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about, like, oh, remember when it was just about, like, staying abstinent, like, in the early stages, you know, and we just had to worry about our food, you know, um, and then when we start to get abstinent and we grow, our life grows and things grow and we get responsibilities. And, and, um, and so, uh, you know, I, um, I take really good care of myself today. I enjoy my own company. And most importantly for me, and this is, um, great, thanks. Um, this is where I think the most profound uh, part of my recovery has come into play is in my relationship with the God of my understanding. I use the word God. I refer to it God as a hymn. But, um, but it could be a tennis shoe and it could be whatever it is um, for anybody. But what I do know is that the God of my understanding is so unconditional, is so unfailingly consistent, is ever forgiving, does not judge me, um, and I am overwhelmed 
by what that really means. And that's really the work I'm doing right now is, to, is like, I don't have any example of what that is. I have glimpses of it through people in my life. But, you know, I, I, I talk about this um, spotlight, this warm, bright spotlight that never moves. And that's kind of what God feels like to me. And I go in and out of that light. You know, and I think, God, it's so dark in here. What happened? You know, I moved away, you know, from that light. And um, and I, if there's any judgment or if the disease is speaking to me in my own voice, you know, what I do know is that my sponsor in another program says, you know, sometimes I sit there and I'm like, yeah, God, I know you're there. Anyways, um, so I wanted to do this this way, you know. And, you know, I have this truly, this unfailing brilliant light that just just goes, okay, honey, whatever you need to do. You know, because when I look back on my life, if I wanted to binge, I could binge. You know, I might have a few roadblocks, godshots, whispers, you know, that higher power put in my path, but if I really, really, really wanted to do it, okay. And, um, and you know, that, that the power that I understand my God to be um, isn't a savior. It's my partner. You know, um, I got to do a lot of the physical work, but I'm never alone. And I think that's really the um, biggest gift that I have found in my life is that I grew up always feeling lonely, very lonely. And over the course of certainly the last seven years, a lot of painful growing pains. Um, uh, I have moments where I may feel lonely for a loved one or lonely because I'm not in a relationship. But the idea of, of feeling alone and lonely, um, I don't want to say it's gone, but I just want to say that I feel my heart more full. you know, and, um, and I feel in my body, not in my head as much. So... You know, I'm just a work in progress. I'm so grateful to um, this program, and I'm grateful to, um, you know, my abstinence first and foremost. But I'm really grateful for the emotional and spiritual side of this program because, you know, um, I've had moments in, the, in, in my recovery where I've been sort of a dry drunk. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful to have my abstinence but have a conscious commitment to my place in the world and how I affect others, you know, um, and how I affect myself. So um, I think that's all I really have to say, that, uh, you know, that I'm just one among many today, and I'm grateful to be that. Thanks. Any questions? Okay. Um, based on the fact that I came from, um, a, you know, a pretty, uh, as she said, horrific background in coming into the program and having the program talk a lot about relying on a higher power, power greater than us. Um, how did I come to it? Slowly, slowly. Um, I was one of those that used that the room was my higher power. Um, I I still hear um, 
God and my understanding through people at the meetings, you know. Um, and uh, I couldn't, it wasn't a tangible, it wasn't inside at first. It was very connected to to the fellowship, to sponsors, to little things I heard that I didn't want to hear, you know, knowing, you know, I was going to leave that meeting and have a binge. And someone in the program would say something that would just give me that opportunity to not do it, but I'd probably do it anyway, or at least then I did. Um, just time, you know. Um, and I think for me as an addict, that's hard, because I want it now. <laughs> and I've got nothing now in terms of my recovery. It's been, it's, it's, it's been an IV drip. That's how my recovery has felt like. So, you know, patience and perseverance. Uh, do you have, like, a morning routine of what you do to stay spiritually fit? And if so, what did you find different You know, it's varied for me. Oh, okay, um, do I have a morning routine um, to stay spiritually fit? It's varied for me. Um, I don't have any, like, um, morning, half hour, sit and pray and meditate. I speak to my sponsor Monday through Friday um, at 6.30 a.m., and we get 10 minutes. I do my work. Um, what I do is I write either before I go to bed or in the morning before I talk to her. And I write like I, and it always starts with I feel. I am feeling. And I read her my writing. And, um, and uh, I tell her what I'm going to eat. Um, so I have to plan ahead, which is a really good thing for me. It's a very caring, loving thing for me. Um, uh, and... Uh, what I do is I, I work really hard on staying consciously contact through my day. So, for instance, when I'm in a car, that is my exercise, to be kind and loving. When I'm at red lights, I breathe and meditate. I breathe in. I say, I invite you in, God. Um, I have found when I have done stuff in the morning, only in the morning, um, at 2 o'clock, it's not really there with me anymore. So... Um, I'm lucky that I had a lot of early morning meetings, so I kind of start myself real plugged in. But, um, you know, throughout my day, you know, if I'm in a situation where I'm uncomfortable, I'll say, excuse me, i got to go to the bathroom. And I sit in the stall and I pray. Um, so I, I do a lot of that throughout the day. I, I, I put my hand on my heart a lot, you know, when I'm feeling feelings. It's okay. I've, I'm here for you, you know, because I, I recognize I've got a little girl in me. I, maybe quirky for other people to hear that, but I got this little girl in me and I gotta reassure her that I'm taking care of her and she's safe. And so, um, you know, that we don't have to be mean at the car. We can let that car go up front of us. It's okay. <laughs> you know? We don't need to flip that finger. No, we don't, you know. <laughs> so that's what I do, you know, throughout the day. And that has really served me well. Thank you. Anybody? I'm hoping my name is Thank you. 
the lack of faith that anything will change, um, that, that that kind of serenity could possibly be available to me. Are there tools that you use to, to find that, you know, to walk through that kind of fear? Well, I certainly, as, when I was newer, I, uh, meetings, meetings, and more meetings for me. Um, because I, I had, like, you know, K blank going on in my head a lot in the beginning, and I couldn't get off the monkey wheel. Um, and so it just helped to plug in. Open A meetings I'd go to. You know, if I, because, you know, I mean, I, I uh, you know, I, as many OA meetings as I could. But it also helped me to go to other fellowships just because it helped me realize that people, you know, there's something about um, open A meetings for me that there's a feeling of do or die because my disease, my disease was do or die. And I needed to get to that place where I realized, you know, I'm, I'm dying slowly, but I'm dying. Um, and, um, and they're a gregarious bunch of people. So there's always a lot, a lot of laughing and craziness that goes on in those meetings. So it kind of helped me chuckle, too. Um, and, uh, and I just support you to, or anybody struggling, just stay where your feet are. Stay in today. We don't know, you know, we feel like it's never going to end. But, but if I can just, for me, sometimes it would be meal to meal. You know, when I think, like, I eat, eat my breakfast and I feel like, oh, I can't. And so, oh, the food's in me. I want to get it out. You know, can I just wait till lunch? And, and um, so if I can just keep it micro, micro minutia. Um, but, but I can tell you that I, if I can do it, anybody can. I will tell you. So, you know, meetings were a godsend for me. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.